from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please be seated. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you just couldn't or didn't want to admit an event was true or was going to going on before you that was actually happening? Sometimes these come in the form of arguments. We don't like to be wrong. We don't want to admit we're wrong, even when we know we're wrong. No matter how much evidence is given to provide to us that we're wrong, we don't want to be wrong, so we refuse to see it. I know with my children, this often comes in the times where they're facing punishment. It doesn't matter how many times with kids. I'm sure I was the same way as a kid. How many times you say, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. And then they do it a few more times, and you say, okay, now your punishment has come. They're like, what did I do? I didn't do that. I was never doing that. Sometimes it comes in a moment of loss or tragedy. Even though there's plenty of evidence that the event is occurring, we simply don't want to believe it. In all these cases, it's hard for us to see the plain truth going on right before our eyes. So perhaps we begin to argue or we seek to prove people wrong or we want people to prove us wrong. All the while, we have no intention of relenting. One of the greatest events of the Gospel of Matthew, yes, I know we're not in Matthew, but I said Matthew, uh, is the confession of Peter. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And They say, well, some people say Elijah, some people say Moses. He says, well, who do you say I am? And, and Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. When we talk about the chronology of Jesus's life, the, the proclamation of Peter comes shortly after the events of John 6. John doesn't re record the confession of Peter, but he does provide an answer to the question put to Peter. And he answers with seven I am statements, seven truths to be believed. The first of which we see here today, I am the bread of life. Now, just for a moment, as we get just a, a side tangent, we've talked about this some before, but I want to talk about it again. The construction in the Greek here is odd. It is ego in me. Ego is the declension of I. And ego here, ego in me, is basically two, it's the same word said twice. It's basically like he's saying, I, I am. I, I am. Ego in me. I, I am. I, I am the bread of life. It is the same word given to Moses at the burning bush. Who, who shall I say sent me? And he say, and God says to him, tell him I am has sent you. 
these I am statements, they are they summarize, they show for us the mission of Jesus. And there's seven of them. Of course, we're seeing one today, but the seven are this, I am the bread of life. And these are all things that you've probably heard before, whether you've recognized them as these I am statements or not. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of these describe who and what Jesus is. We're going to consider each of these in time. They're not lined up one after another. They kind of come throughout uh, the next bit of bit of John. But as we come this morning and we see the I am statement of Jesus, we see it come in the face of a people who simply don't want to see the evidence that is set before their eyes. And so we're going to see three things. The cry of unbelief, the sign of unbelief, and the bread of life. The cry of unbelief, the sigh of unbelief, and the bread of life. Let's begin by looking at the cry of unbelief. As powerful as Jesus' teaching about himself was, most people reacted in unbelief. And think about it, having witnessed what they just have, and if you remember, I'll summarize quickly just for the sake of jogging your memory. We've just come off the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus has fed all these people. He's done this great miracle. And even just before that, he has performed miracles and he's healing And they've witnessed these things. They've been called to faith by who Jesus is. And how do they respond? First, we saw last week, they're like, well, what do we have to do? Tell us what we have to do. And Jesus says, it's not about your work. It's about what I do. And now they go, well, okay, if it's about what you're going to do, prove who you are. Prove it. Prove who you are. They demand another sign in chapter 30. What sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? And you kind of want to go, wait, excuse me? Now, we we are the same way, so don't feel for a second we're better than them. But remember what just happened. It's hard to think of a more vivid testimony to the depravity of a human heart than this. Think that they've all that they've already seen. Jesus took seven loaves or seven fishes and a few loaves. And he fed, like we said, somewhere over 10, probably over 10,000 people. 5,000 men plus women and children. It's pretty miraculous, right? It's a pretty big deal. Show us a sign. How How are we to account for this astonishing unbelief? The Bible tells us that people don't believe because of their sinful hearts. First Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, Paul in Romans 8.7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot They asked for a sign because they didn't like what Jesus was saying to them. And this is no less true for us today. People receive testimonies of Christians of the Bibles 
enough that would be sufficient to persuade them in any other situation, and yet they reject. And, and think of this. Well, Daniel, you may ask me, how can you know that people would be persuaded in any other situation? And I say this simply based on the fact that people will believe anything. Like, and I mean that, like, people will believe anything. For instance, how many experts have you ever met because they read an article on Facebook? Hey, well, you, did you know this? Where'd you, where'd you get that information? I saw it online. People will believe anything. It doesn't take much in any other area of life for people to believe facts are true. So much so that we now have websites that are dedicated to, like, fact-checking. Of course, who checks the fact-checkers? I don't know. The Bible comes and Christians come and we give evidence upon evidence upon evidence. But they respond to the gospel with one objection after another. Because people love their sin. They love their pride. They love their own lordship over their lives. They are determined to be their own gods. And so they find one reason after another to reject Christ. They have seen the proof of his deity, but they don't believe. Because the reality is, seeing doesn't equal believing. Believing enables us to see. Faith enables us to see. Sometimes, I, I, we, I think we like to put ourselves in the place of people in the Bible and we go, well, if we saw that, we would have believed. The reality is that's not true. Our ability to believe or, or to see is because we have been given belief. If we will believe in his word and trust in him at all times, our eyes will be open to the sovereign hands that uphold us in all times. But if we will not believe in the word of Christ, then nothing will penetrate our foolish hearts. The cry of unbelief is all around us. There's ample evidence for the reality of Jesus. In fact, how many stories have you heard of men and women who said, I am going to disprove the Bible and ultimately come to faith? We hear this story again and again through history. There have been enough eyewitnesses. There have been enough testimony. We can rationally test the claims of the Bible. Even, the, even still, people reject Jesus. They don't want to believe who he, that he is who he says he is. They don't want to have him telling them how they should live. Because they're rooted, the world is rooted in their own sin. They don't want to give up the things that they love. Nor did we. They don't like the idea that they have to give up things that make them happy, and so they reject Christ. They cling to their sins. They ask, well, just show me one more thing. And so these people here, they call for a specific sign. After, in their arrogance, after they say to Jesus, hey, give us a sign. How are we going to believe you who, who you say you are? What work do you perform? And then they point to the man in the wilderness. So they, they ask for a specific sign. Hey, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. Now, now, first off and foremost, 
Let's not miss the ironic nature of their request. Give us food from heaven. What had he just done? He had just given them food from heaven, right? Okay, well, let's move on. They called Jesus to repeat on this sign. Give us manna in the wilderness, as Moses gave in the wilderness. If he was going to be greater than Moses, then prove it like Moses did. It really is the notion of, hey, Jesus, what have you done for me today? What have you done for me lately? Yeah, yesterday you fed me and that was all great, but now I want you to show me something else. There's a great arrogance and pride in their request, isn't there? They don't want to see what they've already seen with their own eyes and tasted with their own mouth. So they double down, hoping maybe at least they'll get to see something else spectacular. But their hearts aren't seeking after God. They're not wanting to humble themselves before Jesus. And the problem is ultimately that they don't even know their own Bibles. They say, Moses gave us manna in the wilderness, and Jesus addresses their ignorance. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. But my father gives you true bread from heaven. They pointed to Moses, but what was Moses ever but a messenger of God? Moses was an instrument and tool of God. And we cannot put the focus on God's human instruments. Uh, in essence, famous, famous teachers and preachers, there are none who are indispensable to the ministry of the gospel. We must realize that all blessings, all truth flows from God the Father. Jesus did not perform his miracle through the power of another. Okay. It's a bit confusing. He was Jesus' son and by the power of God, yes, but he's also God. He is God. He is God acting on his own authority. Whereas Moses was an agent of God acting on another's authority. God has provided through Jesus the bread that we need. And it's interesting because Jesus really turns their question on their head here. They're asking for physical food. And he says, yes, Moses didn't do it on his own power. But the Father gives you true bread from heaven. They're asking for a physical answer and he gives them a spiritual answer. Answer, Jesus does far more than simply fill our bellies. He fills our souls. He offers a solution to our spiritual need. He provides for us food that as we feast on it, we will never hunger again. He provides for us a way to come to God. We see two great errors that are being made here. At a bare minimum, two great errors as they approach Jesus. First is that they come with suspicion and doubt and ask him to prove himself. And the question is this, how many of us have been guilty? And maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I think we, we can tend to do this even if we don't use the ex exact phrases. But how many of us are guilty? have been guilty of bargaining with God? Maybe we use these if-then statements with God. 
God, if you just don't let me have cancer, then I will do this. If you'll just give me what I want, I will give something back to you. And what these really are are conditional statements of faith, aren't they? We're placing limitations and barriers on God. I need you to do this for me first. And once you show me that you can do this for me, I'll do something for you. But God is not simply there so that we can get what we want. He's not a bargaining chip so that we can have a life that we want now. That's our first error. The second error is this, that we place our trust in human messengers of God rather than God himself. And this is a very grave error as well. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the habit of placing too much emphasis on those who teach God's word as opposed to God's word itself. We live in a day somewhat, I'm sure this has been true throughout the history of the church, but of the celebrity pastor, right? The advent of TV and social media and things like that. And I think this is true with people who I would say are clearly heretics, but it's also true with people who are, I mean, how many, of us, if I, I could start listing some names and how many people would have heard of, if not read some of the books like by R.C. Sproul or John Piper or Tim Keller. And these are, these are names that we know. And we have to be careful that we don't fall in that same habit of the uh, Corinthian church where Paul's saying, well, some people say I follow Apollos and other people are saying, I follow Paul, and so on and so forth, where we begin to follow the messenger as opposed to following Jesus himself. We have to understand, and I know I didn't coin this phrase, but I'm going to use it, and I don't know who did, uh, that the, even the best of men are men at best. And that's not saying much. It means they're not Jesus. It means that while God may use men and women, they are not the thing to be desired. Moses was a messenger of God. He delivered the word of God. He performed the miracles of God, but he was not God. Jesus is God. Jesus comes in, and is greater than Moses because of who he is. He is not to be tested and questioned. He is to be believed in. He is to be followed after. He is to be obeyed. Because he is the bread of life. This is our third and final point this morning. Jesus' great I am statement. I am the bread of life. Who comes, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The problem is that the people talking to Jesus were not mindful of their greater spiritual need. They responded in John 6, 34 by saying, hey, give us this bread always. But they were really just concerned with filling their bellies. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread. The man in the wilderness, it was real. It gave, it fed the people. But Jesus was a fulfillment of what that manna represented it in the old testament there were many types john understood this in fact john throughout his gospel up to this point has tied many old testament themes to jesus 
At one point, he talked about Jacob's ladder earlier in Gospel of John and showing that Jesus is the true way to heaven. He's talked about the bronze serpent that was held up, and the, when the people looked at it, they didn't die. And he said Jesus would be lifted. He said he himself would be lifted up, even as the servant was lifted up. And now he talks to the bread. He, he ties himself to the manna given in the wilderness. This bread that speaks of fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus is the one who gives these truly. Jesus contains the life of God. We are to receive Jesus by faith. And we are filled with life. Jesus is the bread come down from heaven who gives life to the world. One commentator says it this way, the father's provision of a, for a dying world was to send from heaven his only begotten son. In the same way our bodies need bread, they need food to live, Jesus is necessary for the life of our souls. J.C. Ryle says this, We can manage tolerably well without many things on our table, but not without bread. So it is with Christ. We must have Christ or die in our sins. You will never satisfy the inescapable needs of your souls without Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he uses bread. I, I tried to find it. I couldn't. The internet failed me. I guess it fails on, on all levels sometimes. I couldn't. I was trying to figure out, though, if there were any society or any group, people group that didn't have bread in some way, shape, or form. I think it's a fairly universal. Now, the type of bread is different, right? But bread is a universal food. It's one of those hearty bread, hearty things that has fed people throughout time. From very early on, you can go back in our history and we have bread. Bread is always there. And it's a universal image. I think you can take this image of I am the bread to any culture and they can understand bread is the thing that gives life. It's, it's nearly universal. Bread must be consumed to be of any use, though. If I stick a loaf of bread here and I just left it here, what good is it? Eventually it would mold, right? It would grow green things and fuzz and we'd throw it away. Bread is no good unless it is consumed. Our body needs to consume it for it to be of use. Christ must be fed on or excuse me, Christians must feed on Jesus by faith. Nothing compares to the word of God as it feeds the soul of every man, woman, and child. If we are living in a weak age of the church, and I'm not saying we are or we aren't, the reason is found in this, that we are not feeding on the word of God. Instead, we are feeding on the world. You can imagine why Jesus is continuing the theme of bread. He's pointing them back to the miracle that he even just performed. And he's even pointing them forward to the Lord's Supper, which will soon happen. And we see he combines here two whoever statements. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me is combined with whoever believes in me. If you do not come to him, if you do not believe in him, you will hunger until your spirit finally dies. But if you come to Jesus, you will always be watered. You will always be fed. 
Coming to Jesus starts with the understanding that your soul is hungry. God has provided for our highest and most urgent need, and that is in Jesus Christ, the true bread whom God has sent into the world. If you come to Jesus, you will not need any other. If you walk with Jesus as a disciple, you will come to realize the same truth Peter did later on in this same chapter towards the end. In verse 66, we see that there are those who will turn away from Jesus. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, one of those, Simon Peter has a rough history, let's just be honest. But this is one of those moments he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is offering to us eternal life. All we must do is come and eat, to know who he is, to know what he has done, to know that apart from him, there is only death. And so I end with this question. Do you know this bread? Are you resting upon Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Or are you still eating of the things of this world? Eating of food that will never satisfy. We must not be those who cry out in unbelief. Those who refuse to see Jesus for who he is. Those who refuse to come to him in humble reliance. We must not be those who come again and again demanding a sign from Jesus. Testing him to find truth. But but instead we need to figure out who we are in him to know who he is. We are to come to the bread of life, to taste his goodness, to know his mercy and love, and to find satisfaction in him. Oh, would you know the bread that is found in him this morning? Let's pray. 